Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back to Food for Thought, everyone. Thanks for listening. I love stories. I love to hear them, tell them, read them, watch them. I like to watch game day on ESPN on Saturday mornings. That might seem a little strange, but mainly because Tom Rinaldi and Gene Wasikowski both do human interest stories about a player and his family. I remember one where the player's grandfather was mistakenly shot by the police, and they told of that trauma. I heard something that day that was so powerful when the mom said, Hate was the easy choice, but I chose forgiveness instead. It was much harder, but I did so in hopes that I would not lose my son to hate. What a powerful story. And she didn't lose him. He chose love, too. He is a scholarship athlete majoring in criminal justice, of all things, and hopes to pursue his law degree. What a story. What a powerful statement. What truth to hang on to in times of extreme difficulty. What courage. What character. Everyone has a story. We share some of those stories of our clients here on Food for Thought, and probably not as much as we should, but Jerry and I both love stories. I have a story about food insecurity too, and today Jerry is going to help me tell it. Come back in just a moment and be with us as I share how I went from being food insecure to leading the organization that is leading the fight against food security in our state. Welcome back to Food for Thought, sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Well, welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought, and thanks for listening. It's Jerry Brisson, the CEO and president of Gleaners Community Food Bank and the chairman of the Food Bank Council Board of Directors. Jerry, it's great to be in the studio with you. And great to be here once again. So um, I guess this is where I kind of just throw this over to you, and and uh, you're going to conduct the interview of me today. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I would say this. Um, I think your your introduction to this is perfectly right. You know, it's about all of us have a story that got us to where we are. And as we tell that story, it helps people connect to us. It helps people appreciate an aspect of life that maybe they've never thought of that way before. And having known you now for quite some time, uh, you know, you do have an amazing story. Um, and, and it goes... It goes back a long ways now, right? Yeah. But uh, but it in so much gets me in touch with the truth of the work that we do because you never know when you're sitting down with someone if that person has ever been or is right now food insecure. You don't know. There is no face of hunger. And right. as you get to know people, you learn that, man, it's truer and truer and truer. So So with that in mind, you know, putting a face... On hunger, another face. Why don't you just start with what led you 
to being at a place in your life where you weren't sure you were going to have all the food you would need? Yeah, so that's a great, that is a great place to start. Like many people, I went through a life upset, and mine took the shape of a pretty contested, not very amicable divorce. And, um, and that, that decision, that, those decisions that, uh, that we all endured as a family, four kids, um, and they were, two of them were older, kind of out on their own, one in, in career, one in school, grad school and stuff. And then the two younger boys, um, you know, they, they really became dependent on me to be everything for them, you know, to be mom and dad. And, uh, you know, I'm not really good with homework. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, the, 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 the nature of the relationship and how it was severed. And after some 20, almost 28 years of marriage is, uh, is difficult. All of it's difficult. And there was sickness and illness involved in that breakup. And, but, uh, I found myself at a point in my life where I had to reinvent myself, um, career-wise, professionally, and uh, going through all the turmoil that those life circumstances uh, bring to you, a crisis of faith uh, in yourself and in everything else around you, a crisis of uh, family, a crisis of friends. I'm telling you, you know, uh, I remember my dad saying that if you, when you die, son, and you have this many friends and he'd hold up his hand, he'd say you, you lived a, a very wealthy life. Well, I figured out in all that time I had three and I was, I felt really fortunate to have those three and those three guys stuck with me through the entire ordeal and we're still very, very close even today. Right. And I think there's a um, one missing piece here. You talked about the divorce. You talked about the impact of this crisis. You haven't talked about the job loss, which happened at exactly the same time. So yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're right. So what, what happened was in the position that I was in, I wasn't asked to resign because of the divorce, but it was in, you know, with a faith community. And, um, I, I chose to do that. I, I felt like it was the right thing to do. And it wasn't the best thing to do for Philip by far, but it was the right thing to do. And sometimes when you choose to do the right thing, it costs you something. And it cost me a lot. It cost me money. It cost me the opportunity to earn income. But again, people walk into a room, you know, that's how we define friendship. Somebody who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. And um, I went to work for Chick-fil-A, uh, doing some, some consulting work with them. That helped keep me. Uh, I had a great family support system. Uh, my sister, my brother in particular, uh, walked right alongside of me. Again, a lot of people don't have that. Um, and then I was, you know, I relocated to Michigan. And, you know, at the perfect time, I might add, <laughs> you know, like 2008. <laughs> uh-huh. And there were some things going on in 2008 in Michigan, like we lost several hundred thousand jobs that year, if I recall. Yeah, right. Yeah, something like, you know, just a little upsets like that, that... um you know, so what do you do? I mean, I was here. I had great family support, but, you know, I mean, they got their responsibilities too. I'm responsible now for, for my two younger sons uh, in middle school, going into high school. How do I resettle their life and, and start a new career and even figure out what that was? I remember looking, Jerry, at uh, 
and you know me, I wear a suit almost every day to work. And I remember having a closet of suits in the first apartment that we lived in here in Michigan. And I thought I should just give those away because I'll never wear those again. So what a story uh, to, to remind people again. This is a Ph.D. educated person who had spent time uh, in Africa, who had spent time in leadership uh, with with some of the best in the business, who had built a, a powerful career and network of people who were supporting him, who in just a very short amount of time was unemployed, was trying to take care of his two kids by himself without having a job, Mm-hmm. And suddenly questioning all of who am I? Right. What what did I have? What what have I built? What have I really done? And and it changes everything. It even though you had already built accolades in your life that most people never do, when you're faced with can I feed my own children and how am I gonna do that, you question everything. Man, you know, when we say when you're hungry you only have one problem. I'm telling you, I know that that's true because my mind wasn't free to think about what could I do. So I I just got jobs. I mean, I got jobs everywhere I could get when I was here in 2009. I worked at Walmart during the Christmas rush. I mean, I had a name tag from Walmart as a cashier uh, and also as a door greeter. You know how people say, well, I just want to be the greeter at Walmart. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's more, you know what I'm saying? I had a, I had a, uh, a name tag that said Dr. Phil. Yeah. The irony yeah. of it, right? Yeah. And I appreciated the job. I really appreciated the job. I substitute taught. Um, again, I had the degrees and I, I substituted from Howell. I lived around and around Fenton and I substituted and would drive down to Howell all the way to Saginaw. Any place I could substitute for any subject that I could get in, no matter the student population, I went. I did everything that I could do. And then I also learned how to drive on the ice and snow at the same time, too. So it was lots of transitions. Right. Our listeners might not remember that you're from L.A., I'm from yeah, I am from Lower Alabama. Right, right, right. right. So driving in the ice and snow was was something to get used to here in Michigan as well. Yeah. So, so you're you're walking your walk. You you've been on a faith journey this whole time. You're trusting in God, you're trusting in the people that know you. Suddenly that gets rocked. It gets rocked in a pretty significant way and very quickly and you find yourself in a different position questioning, wondering scrambling, right? Dealing with the chaos of life and the need to do things in ways you've never done them before. And so I know in just a minute here, we're going to have to take a break. Right. But, uh, but before we do that, how would you lead us into the next part? Yeah, I think maybe, um, what I learned, you know, from this about me and about life and about the people who are going through And I think what I learned most of all, Jerry, was life can happen to anyone. None of us are immune. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your account today or what job or what business you may own or work at. None of that matter. It is all temporary. And life happens to all of us. 
so I think that's probably how I would lead us into the next segment. All right. So as you are uh, imagining listening to this now, the life that's happening to you, stay put. We got more to come, and it's going to be really exciting here on WJR Food for Thought. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. All right, welcome back to WJR. I am the co-host of Food for Thought, Jerry Brisson, the president and CEO of Gleaners and the chair of the board of the Food Bank Council of Michigan, here with our host, Dr. Phil Knight, who is telling his story. Um, It's an amazing story. And it so hits home for those of us in this work because we know how critical food is. We say food first for a reason, Mm -hmm. and Phil's story helps us understand food first really does make a difference. So we're we're we got we got um, a really clear understanding of this crisis that you've reached in your life, and now you're overcoming it. You're, you're putting your life back together. So tell us how you put those pieces together. Well, I made a lot of stupid decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and when, you're, when your life is in upheaval, when you've lost everything that you thought you would never lose, um, you know, marriage, family, uh, values that you thought were never going away, uh, it's just a life upset. And it's and it's terrible to endure, and it took me years to work through it. Um, and and in the midst of all that, your your mind's not right. Your emotions aren't true, and so you make some stupid decisions. Like I would think about Christmas for my boys, and then my other two children, and for my entire family life, I would always get them big or lots of Christmas things. And now all of a sudden, that standard you can't live to. I mean, you're working on Christmas Eve at Walmart and you're thankful for to, ha- to have the opportunity. Or, you know, that for me it was Walmart. It could be any place. But the, for me it was at Walmart. And I was thankful to be working on Christmas Eve. And You know, one of the things I think it's it's hard to imagine until you go through it is how your sense of self changes, how your belief in yourself changes when you have to realize, I can't do what I used to be able to do. And those things that I valued, I can't do anymore. So, I mean, I, I know that's a, that's a scary door to open and look back at, that, that how did I feel about myself as I was not providing the Christmas toys for my kids that I was used to providing. But I think it's a really important part of um, how you come to a, a new place. And can you talk about that just a little? Yeah, I'll, I'll try. I mean, I felt obviously horrible. Um, and, I, and as we've talked about before this show and during the breaks, this is really hard for me to open that back up and, and visit that again. But you feel like a failure. Uh, you failed at life. <laughs> you know, it might something to fail a test or, you know, or, or fail to meet a, a physical a- expectation or something. But no, I, I graduated. I went to the Ph.D. of failures. <laughs> I failed at life is what I, you know, is what I was was sensed in my own essence. And that's really hard to overcome. It's not as good as it used to be, and it's it's not like it was. And those two thoughts permeate your mind 
all the time and what could I have done to make it? So you 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 got to get to the place where you can let that go as best as you can and then and then understand that that the most important day is today and tomorrow not yesterday now that sounds like a great bumper sticker but man i'm telling you what it's it's hard to forgive yourself and to re-believe Oh yeah. To, to believe in that young man that was playing baseball, that young man that that decided to get a PhD that felt like he could go to Africa and do things that were never done before, and that man that's in the mirror doesn't feel like that same man and how do you recapture that? And in the meantime, you're going, "Okay, my family needs to eat. My yeah. boys need something." Yeah, we I it got it got to the you know and again I had uh, siblings and I had a support structure here um, with a family that had really embraced us and but I you know to go and ask for help really hard uh, really hard and and that means not just your friends or your family but to go to the government and ask for help and did you even know that you could or how you no, could no i didn't even know no. i had i never thought never entered my mind for months 18 months is the duration of my my food insecurity and and you know so you probably do this you guys probably do this like when i come home at night and i empty my pockets if i have any change i drop it into a bucket or a, a pitcher or something we rode quarters and dimes and we almost started rolling nickels and we never had to roll nickels and of course then we would have had pennies and we our apartment was set right behind a uh, a dollar tree store and that's what we ate out of cuz you could get more and everything's a dollar right yeah so that's what yeah. we ate now we all know that that's probably not the best food for you anytime and particularly long term and it brings with it an assortment of health issues if you if that's all you have but i'm telling you man when you don't have choice you're going to solve hunger any way that you can and you know we're a country that kind of makes a joke out of that with the snickers commercials but you know people anything will solve hunger but then you did get some help i did got some help I did. I got some help, Jerry. Um, and I, did, I was like kicking myself when I realized it. And uh, it was as simple as a phone call. And I, I, I went to, like, I would go to Michigan Works and do my resume and all that. And I ne- but I never connected the dots to, to food assistance. So I just, the lady from school called me and she said, I'm going to put Austin and Abel on free and reduced breakfast and lunch well this at the school they were going to which was lake fenton this would have been a a serious stigmatism to them and uh you know and i was like okay well i thank you and she said you know phil you could call dhhs or at that time dhs and i think you would qualify for some food assistance and it took days jerry before i could bring myself to make that call and I'm working. I'm doing all that I can do. I'm trying to figure out. And I'm applying for jobs. And my education actually hurt me. I mean, I wanted to be a family liaison in a school district. And they looked at me and say, what are you doing here? 
this is a $25,000 a year job. What are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm hungry. (laughs) My kids are hungry. And still, on some level, wanting to make a difference. I know you well enough to know that. And I can't imagine that after substitute teaching, that family liaison work didn't come to you because of your gifts. Well, I, you know, it's what I know. It's who I am. And so you, you gravitate for that. I, you know, I, 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 as an entrepreneur, I, re, I started a counseling service, you know, uh, that I still have today. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I thought somebody would pick me up. I applied for so many jobs, you cannot even count. I mean, I tried to be a parole officer here in Detroit. Um, you know, I don't. I, I didn't get that job. I was a lot, tons. I could just show you an arm's length list of jobs that I didn't get. And I want to remind our listeners that this is more typical than atypical of the people we help, that people are doing the best with what they have. They're taking what they know and can do. They're putting those pieces together, but a little help comes along from people who can say, hey, have you thought of this? You could do this. While you're trying to get through this, there's people that will walk with you, and that is such an important part of the story. So when we come back, I want to get to that next level. You actually got help. I know you called DHS. You actually got help, and that was the beginning of turning the corner. So we are going to be right back to talk about The Corner Turned with Dr. Phil Knight, the host of Food for Thought, and I'm Jerry Brisson. We'll be right back here on WJR. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back to WJR Food for Thought. I'm Jerry Brisson, the co-host of the show. I'm here with Dr. Phil Knight, our host, who is who is really telling us his story of food insecurity and how he experienced that in his family. So we're we're now at a point where you've you've humbled yourself enough to make a call to DHS to ask for some food assistance. So so give us a little bit of insight into what's happening at the family at the time that pushed you that far. Yeah, so it's very stressful on the boys and the fact that we're not who we used to be, just like it was on me. And so uh, you try never to let them know that. But um, so I would volunteer like uh, to be the announcer at Austin's soccer games because I wanted that to be some, that's something I would have done anyway. So I wanted it to be kind of normal. So trying to normalize their life, but you can't do it, man. You just can't do it to the degree. So I would say that there was a, a level of, uh, of hurt. There was a level of embarrassment. Uh, it, it was, it was a struggle, but there was also a, a bond between the three of us that I don't really share with anyone else other than those two boys because we went through it together. And um, Austin is quite musical, as you are, um, and uh, he plays in a couple of bands now and writes songs, and he wrote a song about the roof over the Dollar Tree store and what it was like to live and eat from there and it's pretty dark and so that was a place that we were all at and remind us how old were the boys 
So Austin would have been uh, a freshman in, uh, or sophomore in high school, and Abel would have been a, like a, a freshman. Eighth. Did they ever ask? Did they ever ask, Dad, what's happening, or or why are we going through this, or anything like that? No, they knew the they knew the divorce was the catalyst, and and that we had come to Michigan to you know to re- restart our life, and they both chose to be with me, and uh, I had custody. And um, it was, you know, so we were going to go through this together. But, I mean, and it's not all pretty now. It's not all happily ever after. What I mean is that you're short on emotional reserves. And so normal things that your kids might do are catastrophic to you because you're not who you really are. And I think that is a big part of the story about being under the toxic stress of food insecurity for me. But but certainly also for my boys, Austin and Abel. Um, But now we made the call and we got a bridge card. In fact, I still have it. It's here with me. I I, I don't carry it with me everywhere I go, but I do keep it to remind me of what I came through and and what we came through together. And we got like um, $98, I think, on the bridge card uh, for a month. And we went straight to the grocery store and bought $97.50 worth of meat. (laughs) (laughs) Just to remind people, the bridge card is used to be called food stamps. Now it's the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. In Michigan, it's the bridge card. So that is the food assistance program from the government. Um, So you bought $97.50 of meat. Right. And did it bring a smile? Oh, man, we were so happy. We were so ecstatic. It's just, you know, because we had all the pasta you could probably use from Dollar Tree. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we made spaghetti. We made hamburgers. We made some, you know, some chicken wings. And it, it normalized us, Jerry. And that's why when we talk about food first... Just so people know, um, even talking about it is a powerful, powerful reminder of a time in life which is hard to remember. Um, And that $97.50 probably meant more than a million dollars at that moment. Well, I would have taken a million dollars, but but it did. Because the food, I didn't have to worry about the trade-offs then. You know, at least I took one trade-off off the table, and um, and it and again the food normalized our family, our family relationship. We could sit down and have dinner. We didn't have to go and roll dimes to go to Dollar Tree and buy pasta or something. So it was um, that was the gift of food, man, to normalize your life. So family support, free and reduced lunch at school, some food assistance just for $100 of meat, and emotionally you start to feel better. You start to feel like things are going to be okay. Yeah, it, you do. You, you're immediately inspired. Okay, what else can I do for myself? What am I doing? What can I do that I'm not doing? You, it inspires you to move forward. And, you know, I think that it's, as I look back on it, I'm I overcame circumstances right but there's 
lots of people dealing with far harsher circumstances, life upsets in their life than what I had to go through. So I needed a little bit of help for a little while. And this lasted basically for four months for me. And the then food I, assistance. The food assistance. And then I got a job, a job that paid me a living wage, I got a job that I could support myself, Austin and Abel, and pay my rent and pay my utilities and drive back and forth to work. And I, when I took that position, man, I was so ecstatic. In fact, the first call I made was back to DHA, DHS and say, you give this to somebody else who needs it more. Wow. I, I can't imagine how that felt for them. Well, I was, it, it felt good for me. I mean, but I needed a little help for a little while. And there's people going through far more difficult circumstances than what I was going through and found myself in that need a little bit of help for a little bit longer than what I did. But the program worked in my life, in Austin and Abel's life. And How important is that for the community to have those supports? It really matters, and your story is so moving. Um, now, knowing you, I can't imagine anything but the successful man that I know, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard. I, I just don't know how to do that. But I'm guessing I would have still seen that successful man as you were going through those hard times because of who you are. And I, and I want to say this. I know that you're a man that doesn't let any moment go by without learning from it. So I, yeah. I, want, you to, I want you to spend a minute on, okay, once you could get through that and look back at it, what are some of the key things that you pulled out of that? So I think that what I learned from that experience prepared me for this leadership responsibility with the Food Bank Council. So when I talk about food first in a monologue here on Food for Thought or when we talk about it in a strategy meeting, I mean it. Maslow's hierarchy of need is absolutely true. And if you can't meet the physiological needs at level one, it doesn't matter what the programming is for level two, three, four, or five. You could have the greatest programs all, but if you're thinking about the physiological need of you or your children, your dependents, I'm telling you, nothing else matters. And that's why Food First has to become priority in the social thinking of all of our organizations, both government and charity. It ha food first. It has to become that. Otherwise, the people's minds, my mind, wasn't free to think about what can I do next to help myself. So I think that that's, that's a part of it. And then, as we've discovered in our research and, and coming through all this, that there are policies and practices embedded in legislation that, that do not help the person who wants to work. They de-incentivize work. And so I think that those we have to have honest conversations with people on both sides of the aisle to find work supports that support work. And I want to relate that back to something you said earlier about your own feeling of shame. De-incentivizing work de-incentivizes pride. Absolutely. And, and they go together. And so it's not just about money, right? It's not just about money. It's about that feeling you get when you're providing for yourself and knowing it's going to be enough for your family, that's so huge. Right. Oh, man. I, when I got the call, I was substitute teaching, and I had interviewed for the job the night before, and the board 
the interview committee said, we'll call you in the morning with our decision. We'll call you by 10 o'clock. Well, 10 o'clock came and, you know, you're never supposed to have your phone out in the classroom and all that kind of stuff where I was substituting. But I told my kids that day, I will have my phone out today. And by 10:15, they had not called me. So I called a guy that I knew on the interview committee and he called the chair and the chair called me at 10:30 that morning. And I literally just rejoiced in the hallway of that school because then I could see that I was, there was an end there, or there was a beginning. And you knew it would be enough. So, you know, I, 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 I want to just make this little point of what if it wouldn't have been? What if that job didn't pay quite enough? You still would have felt good, but it would have been with a little comma, right? Yeah. Yes, but. And so imagine how many jobs you got turned down for and having the strength to get the next call done when you know it might not be enough. Man, that's hard. Oh, it was hard. It was hard. It was really hard. So we're going to come right back. We're going to wrap up this show. We've got a few more thoughts, a few more things to hear from Dr. Phil. Thank you so much for sharing this. We're on WJR Food for Thought. I'm Jerry Brisson. We'll be right back. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back to Food for Thought. I'm Jerry Brisson, the co-host of the show here with Dr. Phil Knight, our host, who's telling his story of going from food security and needing to be given some hope to having a life where he's spending every and each day providing hope for others. And what an honor it's been to, to hear your story again. I've certainly heard it before, um, and, uh, and it moves me every time, Doctor. I, 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 I really appreciate you and, and the, what, what you've done in your life now to take your experience and, and give something back. Tell us a little bit about how is that working for you? Well, I'm, I think that uh, I've had a great life so far. I don't want it to end anytime soon, but <laughs> I really enjoyed my one handful of life. And, um, and so I'm, I'm just uh, looking forward to what's next. And what's next, I think, for me and the Food Bank Council and our network of seven food banks that are trying to help people like I was, who found themselves in a very difficult life situation that needed a, a, a hand up, you know, and yeah. out of those circumstances, uh, and is to develop this this idea of a blueprint about how we can develop develop a specific collaborative actionable plan that would relieve people from the toxic stress of food insecurity, so their minds are free. And as you and I both believe, we really think people will solve most of the problems themselves if you can just take that trade off. Take hunger off the table and replace it with access to healthy, nutritious food. Many people will. There's no question. There's no question. Your story is one of thousands of stories of people who got to a point in their life where chaos reigned. They lost what was so hmm. significant to them to feel successful, believe they could be successful, and, and had to build that back until they could be successful. And food matters so much to that. Well, and I think about the kids who were born into that situation. Now, my boys were older, and my other two kids, Andrew and Amanda, they were older. 
But kids who are born into this, and that's all they grow up in, is that toxic stress of food insecurity. Man, I cannot imagine the strength it takes to break that cycle. Do you have a food for thought for us? I do. We are encouraged, uh, instructed, and admonished by many different forms of literature not to judge. But it's easy to do. We can do it without trying and really without thinking. I often say in the absence of communication and information, we assign motive, dangerous tendency, and habit. I'm rarely right, and most of the time, completely off base. So the next time I see a worn-out, rusted vehicle drive alongside of me, I'm going to whisper a prayer of thanks for my vehicle and say a prayer for theirs. The next time I see someone use their snap card or bridge card, I'm going to think a word of gratitude and remember where I came from and what I went through with my kids. And imagine the emotional, mental strain that the people swiping that card live under when they are on assistance. It is not a high-quality lifestyle. I'm going to try to understand a little bit better because, to be honest with you, except for the grace of God, there go I. Thanks for listening to Jerry and I. We're back next week with another inspiring edition of Food for Thought, heard right here on WJR. Until then, on the website, you can find us at foodsecuremichigan.org. And remember... Food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.